Welcome to Around the IT Block Podcast, presented by HPE. I'm your host, Calvin Zito. In case you missed our first podcast, there's a couple things that are different. First thing is we've changed the name. It's no longer around the storage block, and that's actually a change I made at the beginning of 2021. It's now called Around the IT Block because we're going to talk about issues that extend beyond storage and that anybody in IT might be interested in hearing about. The other big news is that it's now presented by HPE, which means it's an official HPE podcast, and you can find it on hpe.com. So I hope that brings in a broader audience to listen to what we'll be discussing on Around the IT Block. This is podcast number two, and in this edition, I have Michael Cade from Veeam joining me. In our conversation, we really focused on what's new in Veeam 11. I'll give you a little bit of a rundown of what we talked about. Michael talked about what his top three features were in Veeam 11, and then we dove into those three features. And then we talked about some of the things that are new in Veeam 11 that are going to be enhancements for HPE customers. So here's Michael Cade from Veeam Software. Yeah, thanks, Calvin. Awesome to be here as well. Um, yeah, so I'm Michael Cade. I'm a senior global technologist at, at Veeam Software, and I sit within the product strategy group. So that reports up into our CTO. I focus a lot around the community, as well as feedback from our customers, our partners, our alliances, and hopefully the feedback that I get, which is generally pretty good from our customers, from our partners. And then I feed that back into our product management, which hopefully makes our product better year on year. So that's that's me. Well, let's uh, let's talk about what we wanted to get to here, and that is you guys have released Veeam uh, version 11, and this is a pretty big deal. Obviously, uh, it seems like it was not very long ago we were talking about a lot of what was coming out in Veeam 10, but here we are, Veeam 11. Give me a, an overview of what you guys were trying to do with this release. Obviously, a lot of features came into it, but is there a high level of what you guys were trying to achieve with, uh, with Veeam 11? Yeah, so, so Veeam over the last couple of years has, has grown into a behemoth of a product or a platform, I should say. Uh, so it consists of Veeam Backend Replication, which is obviously focused around protecting and managing the workloads. But it's also around our agents for Windows, Linux, a new agent that's coming around Mac as well. But really the core of the whole product, the flagship, is that Veeam Backend Replication. So there's a lot of good stuff coming in in that version that, that I'm sure we'll get into. But probably the key, or at least my my favorite three, would be around continuous data protection, a focus around ransomware. Like I think a, another thing that 2020 will be known for famously will be around the ransomware scare that pretty much everyone has, has heard about um, in the news, in the media, and potentially already also experienced at their, their businesses, and then also around instant recovery and an expansion of what we've already been doing in that space. So, yeah, it's a huge release. I think I saw Anton Gostev actually post that there was 14 product releases coming in this, this one big release, and I'm sure there's more, actually. I'm sure he's being quite modest with that. So let's let's jump into it because there is a lot to cover and let's maybe let's as you suggested let's start with Veeam backup and recovery V11 and I know CDP is something you guys have been talking about and it's here so let's talk about what you're excited about with uh, your implementation of CDP. Yeah, so obviously continuous data protection. We have been talking about this project since I believe we did it on main stage at Veeamon 2017 and. If you looked at 
the VAIO filter from VMware and the amount of other vendors that have that or had that or have that capability back then it was a very short number of vendors on there and now that's grown it's got quite big but this is more of a why has it taken us so long to complete that project and one of the key things for us is about being software defined but also being agnostic to various different architectures across the industry and obviously we have a wide customer base so there was a few things that we wanted to achieve was obviously we wanted it to be available to everyone we wanted it to be able to work across any distance so between one of the demos that you may or may not have seen from a colleague of mine anthony Suteri, he's actually running a cdp demo between columbus ohio to perth in australia and like we're talking seconds from an rto point of view so th these are all important the premise is there is that we wanted to make it super simple for our customers along the lines of everything is really quite simple at Veeam in, in terms of wizard-driven approach. And then probably the biggest thing, the time it's taken, is because this has to work. When you're talking about business continuity, disaster recovery, you have to make sure that this software will work. And it has to work for those 400,000 plus customers that we have. And that is the reason for the scalability testing, going back to the drawing board with VMware on a numerous occasions, improving both ends of our software and helping VMware with that. I think that's a pretty big part in, in what we've played in this CDP. And the other key part to it on top of that is, so we've already got Veeam Backup Replication, and the, the clues in the name is that it does some backup and it does some replication already. We also integrate with, as you know, Calvin, we integrate with storage systems so we can leverage a snapshot for, for a recovery point. We never, we won't get into the snapshot versus backup. It's more so snapshot and backups together. And then this adds that one extra piece in that same software stack. And the, even the best bit out of it all, especially for a technologist, one, there's no additional software and there's no additional cost on top of that. So think about those mission critical workloads, that five, 10% where you can put them into a policy and start protecting them in that real time or down to the seconds of minutes rather than the hours. I think that's super, super important for us. And I really like that you guys are including it without extra cost because th this really is a like top of the line backup recovery feature. And now what you're basically doing is you're letting customers pick from a you know a number of options and for the workloads that they have to manage because not all of them need CDP, right? Uh, some of them may, some of them may not. But now you're giving customers options based on the workload and their requirements. That this that's a great and i really love that you guys are including it and it's not additional licensing yeah exactly and a lot of our customers don't want that point solution to be able to just do those five percent of their workload they'd rather just be able to do that with veeam that's exactly why we're we're bringing that feature to to market you mentioned um in the lead up as we were talking about this and things you were excited about you know you mentioned uh ransomware uh, i mean obviously i mean i've been hearing about it for a while, you know, we've still got our tape organization and, you know, the we, tape is still a big part of what HPE is doing and the guys doing tape, it seems like every other blog post they write is about ransomware and how tape protects against that. But I, I totally agree with you. This is, this is uh, you know, great to move that ball forward down the field. What has Veeam done that's going to help customers with ransomware? Yeah, so, so. Obviously, this was brought up very much in 2020, and like 
me and you, Calvin, I know have been in this world for a while and, and hear the ransomware stories going back years, really. But in version 11 in particular, so on top of what we've already done, and just to put that into perspective, so version 10, we introduced the ability to upload or tier off longer-term retention up into something we call the capacity tier into AWS S3, into S3-compatible storage, and leverage the object lock API to make that immutable, not only from, obviously, malicious threats and activity, but also from your backup admin or your AWS admin. They simply cannot modify, edit, or do anything with that backup file, which is great. It means that you've got an offsite copy, very similar to tape, but not as air-gapped, if, if you will. So tape is still very much in many people's architectures when it comes to preventing, or at least from a, a protection point of view for, for ransomware. But what we've done in version 11 is we've gone one step further in that we've implemented a, a bring-your-own-Linux distribution, but also hardware. But in particular, I know we're going to talk on an appliance-type validated configuration that we'll, we'll talk about soon. But ultimately, the, the premise of the feature is bring your own Linux distribution and leverage the, the chatter immutable flag within Linux. Don't worry, you don't have to be a Linux guru to be able to achieve this. It's super simple to set up within Veeam. Install your distribution, add that server to your, to your Veeam backup replication server, and use that as your primary backup target. And from there, that will then allow you to keep the primary backups in that immutable state for the time that you've enabled that for being. So that means any deletions from the backup admin, let's say they're accidental, but we know that malicious activity also is on the rise as well throughout 2020 and even before that. But also if any rogue actor was to get in, any malicious threats were to gain access to your network, they would simply have to have physical access to that machine to be able to do anything malicious to that box. So, again, it's about giving more protection across the board for all of your backups. Uh, so whether they're primary, whether they're off-site off and in a different location, it's a constant battle that we're, we're trying to help as, as we're the last line of defense. The ransomware threat is real, and I say it's kind of inevitable that everyone should prepare or should be prepared for the, for the worst. And your backups are probably going to be your last line of defense. So making sure that they're in the place, the best possible place is, is key. So this is just another one of those options that we're bringing to the table. And what this also does is this allows us to leverage. So it can use any file system from a Linux distribution. Yeah. And one thing I want to throw in there is that with StoreOnce Catalyst, our API that's used in StoreOnce, it uses a proprietary API. And it's one of the benefits that StoreOnce has had for a while is that it's an API that you're not going to get access to. So it's just lots of uh, lots of ways to protect customers' data from ransomware that exist with, uh, with HPE and Veeam. So I, I like what you guys have done here. And it just adds another layer here for if you did want to use an agnostic uh, approach like a, an Apollo 4500 as a, as a target versus having yeah, StoreOnce, yeah. which obviously has the proprietary Catalyst uh, API. Yeah, and I guess that comes back, Calvin, to choice. Customers want choice. Customers want, want the ability. Some customers are, by regulation, they have to use tape. Some are not allowed to use object storage and public cloud. But every customer has a different requirement. So it's about, it's about being flexible and, and giving those choice. 
Absolutely. So one of the other things you mentioned uh, that you were excited about with uh, Veeam Backup and Replication is instant recovery. Tell me a little bit about what you guys have done there. Yeah, so so historically, where like we've even got, we've got the the patent for instant VM recovery, so basically taking any virtual machine backup that we've ever taken and instantly being able to recover that into any vSphere environment, like with it, we're talking seconds to be able to ultimately present the the backup file as a data store within the vSphere environment and spin that up and get things running and then use the underlying vSphere storage vMotion technology if you've got that, which I think everyone probably does now, to move that back into the fast production storage. But ultimately, you're back up, you're back online. So we've had that for longer than I've been here, and I've been here nearly six years. So an advancement on that is around being able to perform that that instant recovery against databases. So think about your SQL and your Oracle systems. We've been able to back those up in an application consistent state, be able to orchestrate storage snapshots in an application consistent state for many years. From a recovery point of view, and like many others in the industry from a backup perspective, we've got the ability to recover those or publish those back to a, a test and dev or a secondary SQL or Oracle system so that your devs, your DBAs can have access to a, a nearly new copy of that data. But what version 11 brings is the ability to actually instantly recover that individual database back into the production SQL server. So if you, or Oracle, and this could be both physical and virtual, let's say that you've got a database server and it's got 10 databases in there, 10 plus could be less as well, but, and you see that a database has been dropped. Again, Rick is going to do a, has done a demo. It should be out there over the over the internet that that basically shows the wrong table being dropped from a from a development point of view. What we can do is by leveraging this this new feature is we can have that database back in that system, very similar to the instant VM recovery. We're going to present that database from the backup. We're going to get it back in. We're going to have it up and running. But then we're going to do that migration between the backup storage and the production storage or the LUN or whatever that may be on that on that machine holding that database file. But in all of that time, it's still up and running and you get to choose how you want that to fail over. So how you want it to start moving that data from backup storage to production. And we're talking being able to do individual databases and within seconds for that. But there's been a lot of focus around instant recovery because we've also so basically the ability to take any of our image-based backups and instantly recover those to VMware, that was a version 10 enhancement. But also this with this release, it's around instantly recovering that to Hyper-V, which actually opens up the door to some pretty interesting use cases because pretty much any Windows machine, including Windows 10 client, can be a Windows or a Hyper-V system. So you could instantly recover your backups to that Hyper-V system to get back up and running, even if they all came from like physical agents, if they all came from physical systems, you could get them up and running. And that opens up the door to, well, how could we do more test and dev and how we could do other use cases for that? And then the final thing around instant recovery, Calvin, is instant NAS recovery. So V10 was massive for us in around NAS backup. We had never done it before. And we didn't want to just tick a box and start being able to do NDMP or NDMP-based solution. 
So we, we implemented our own change file tracking engine that would allow us to understand what the file, what files have changed since the last backup, which means that we're only taking a very short incremental each time. Fast forward to version 11, and what happens if a ransomware attack happens on your live NAS system or the NAS system dies, like these things happen, accidental deletion, the shares brought offline and you don't know why, or all of these failure scenarios that we hear about daily, Calvin. What happens if that happens is the, the users are down, they cannot see their, their files. What instant NAS recovery allows them to do, and this is SMB only in version 11, with the we're exploring how this looks later, but what this enables us to do is instantly recover from the backup storage a, co a read-only copy of all of the file shares so that at least whilst that production NAS is down, your user base could potentially have access in a read-only state to their, their documents, which might not seem like a huge thing, but if that NAS is down for 24 hours, 36 hours, that could be a huge game changer in terms of being having access to those important files. That probably, there's, that, I think that's enough instant recovery for, for one release there, Calvin. I love I love what you guys are doing with uh, the Windows angle, too, with Hyper-V, because that, op like you said, that opens up a lot of doors of what people can do for a testing environment and recovering. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that's another use case for the instant NAS recovery. Uh, like, so whilst like, things like data classification, being able to use that instant NAS recovery piece expose it to a third party, a data classification engine, to understand a bit more about well, what are we actually backing up? What file types? Are, do we need that data that's three years plus old? I think if 2020 taught us anything, it's about we need to know what we've got. I think we've all spent a lot of time at home and probably cleaned various different rooms in our houses and <laughs> found stuff that we have not touched for, mm. for a long time and realized we actually don't need that. And I think data is exactly the same, is that the hygiene for data is something that is going to be required. Yeah, totally agree. And, you know, I was actually thinking about this last night. I'm guessing you've been around the industry maybe not quite as long as me, but back when uh, there was this big push around this thing called information lifecycle management. And I'm thinking about, like, where we almost are today. It's almost like, you know, the, the promise of information lifecycle management never really happened because there just wasn't the tools to do what we need. But the tools are starting to really rear their head, and customers need to have that kind of um, insight into their data. And I, there's no doubt that, you know, we're, I don't think that term information lifecycle management is ever going to come back. But having more intelligence about your data is it's just key to where, where I think the industry is going right now. Yeah, exactly, Calvin. And, and that's the conversations that we're having out there, right, with our customers, whether it's the customer that is focused on the storage, the backup, the data management, the infrastructure guys, everyone wears different hats and many hats sometimes in, in certain organizations, but they all want to know more about what they're protecting. There's a there's an urge to want to know more. And I think that's super interesting in that, like you say, it's gone full circle in a, in a way is that by being able to assist from a data management point of view, what is actually being backed up and for how long and what your data is and knowing your data, understanding it is is a huge part of a lot of these IT admins, IT decision makers within the within the businesses. And I think some of these features that we're that we're bringing out completely highlights some of those 
areas where they could just simply plug in a data classification engine to understand more about their, their data. So I think one of the other big things that customers really care about, and it's not like they care about it more now than they ever have because it's always been an issue, but it's controlling their costs. And I know you guys have done some work around that. And talk a little bit about what you guys have done with the, the archiving tier and integration with some of the, uh, the hyperscalers. Just a, a bit of a history on that for the for the listeners is so we've we've got our own scale out backup repository. So think about this as a software defined way of being able to group many different extents or storage types as one, but then being able to tear off into object storage and then even cheaper and deeper object storage later on. So first of all, we have our performance tier. So if you think about that performance tier as your local copy of your backup, so 7.14, 30-day type retention, and this is going to be on-premises. This is going to be as close to your production workload as possible. And then we've got the tiering option into AWS S3, Microsoft Azure Blob Storage, basically any S3-compatible storage, we've got the ability to tier that into for maybe that 30-day plus, maybe that 30-day plus to maybe 180 days, Again, this is all a policy-driven approach, so you define what that needs to look like. And then with version 11 is the archive tier. So the archive tier allows us, especially if you're in an AWS S3 bucket or Microsoft Azure blob, this gives us the ability to tier off even further into that cheaper Glacier Deep Archive or Microsoft Azure Archive blob, like being able to really control where that cost or where that footprint lives that can really be any any storage. So that performance tier can be bring your own bring your own storage as you were. You define what that backup retention looks like in the actual job itself. So if that job needs to last forever or for years, and you land it on that scale out backup repository as the target, it doesn't matter what the job says. We will absolutely keep the retention, but the scale out backup repository's policy will determine where those restore points are kept so that you're keeping the backup for regulation or, or uh, restore scenarios. On top of that, it's going to tear off those backups into, into those areas. And that's where the immutability comes in and being able to really reduce the management overhead of where you're storing your backups. So the important thing that I think I heard there is it, it, this is going to be policy driven. It's, so it's going to be fairly easy to set up by somebody just making the policies and defining what they want in terms of moving off to uh, the cheap and deep storage. That's uh, I guess I guess maybe the way I think about it, it's like the stuff that you're going to write once and you're going to almost never want to read it back. It's just there as an emergency copy or for regulatory purposes. Absolutely. So the archive tier is very much that write once, hopefully read never. I'm not sure that works as an acronym, but not like the worm worm um, acronym, but but write once, hopefully you have to never read ever, but we've got it just in case the auditors come round the round the corner and want to want to see it. Another one, and I, I actually I'm excited about this personally because I saw the note that uh, Anton Gustav sent out and that talked about some of the changes you guys have made to using all-in-one uh, servers, uh, backup appliances. I remember sitting at Vmon, I think it was probably three years ago. I'm probably saying more than I should because 
uh, well, yeah. I'm, that's just what I do. But I remember sitting in a room, uh, Tim Smith was in there and he was talking about how, wow, there's just all this kind of people want to be able to use like an Apollo to, to do as a backup appliance. And you guys kind of keep pushing store once. And, and I think it goes to the question again of giving customers choice. And so now here we are a few years later. Uh, I don't know that many people know this, but the Apollo 4500 line actually sits in storage now. So amazing how things start to roll when, you know, responsible organizations now can get revenue recognition for the work that we do. And there's been some really cool things you guys have done. And I know part of that happened because of work with HPE to, to take advantage of an all-in-one appliance like that. Talk a little bit about what you guys have seen with, uh, with that and what the changes were that you made. Yeah, I think the first and foremost, there's a big shout out to Federico on your side, Calvin Vanier, who who's done a lot of the work around this, or a lot of the testing, or in, enabled our guys to do a lot of the testing in your in your labs. Well, one of the things I say is that we're storage agnostic, we're hardware agnostic, but with some with some vendors we have we have some bells and whistles we do a little bit more with with some some vendors right hpe is obviously one of those like i said tim was tim was right in that the apollo server is great because it allows us to have all in, it's an all-in-one box it allows us to have as many discs in there as we as you can throw at it um it allows for a very high-end cpu memory etc so we've done quite a lot of testing there with multi multi cpus numer awareness which is another thing that we had to implement or we have implemented data movements, movers in place so that they're using the same or, or not different CPUs. But really what it what it allows us to do is that all-in-one approach that, dare, dare I say like an appliance, but it's still your choice. Like you're not locked into that appliance. But what this gives you is the compute platform where you can install the Veeam software, but then it gives you the capacity of the, primary backup storage and then it gives you all of the the cpu the memory the the components that you need to to protect that and then all of that together is a nice package with a bow on that gives you that that nice performance and i think we did some tests around 100 gig and being able to get i think do i remember 11 gig a second being able to throw 11 gig a second at it maybe 11 point something yeah it was 11.4 (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that's a that's a hefty amount of throughput, right? To to put a, 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 and I'm using air quotes. I know you guys can't see me, but like to throw it an all-in-one appliance type model, like and you've customized that, you've you've prepared that. The the specs, I don't know. Like, I know you're going to do a blog, Calvin. So maybe we we throw those specs in the in the show notes as well, and and share what what that testing was for sure from from our team. Yeah, for sure. But yeah. And I was I was excited to see that. I didn't know that work was going on until uh, Anton has that weekly forum update that he sends, and I, I'm also always open it and, and look at see what's going on. And when I saw that, I was pretty excited because that's uh, that's some hefty speeds to get over 11 gig a gig to to a, a backup server gigabytes per second. That is huge. Yeah, and I think and those speeds, you'd think, oh, that's going to cost a, a fortune as well. And actually, no, look at that. If if that if you're in the market for an all-in-one backup device, I'd absolutely go and explore that. It's ultimately, a, and forgive me, Calvin, if, if I talk out of turn from a HPE perspective, but it's a it's a big server 
with a lot of disk capacity um, and very customizable for that. And I think, yeah, it's a good, a great fit for, for, a, for a backup repository or a backup management server. Yeah, and I, I think it was a, a great uh, move internally. Of course, customers don't ultimately care about this, but I think it was a great move internally to move that product into the storage business because it's it's basically a huge storage server. And I think there's a whole team of people now that are just like focused on how we use that Apollo 4500 in these kinds of applications. So it's it's been great, and I'm glad people saw the, the light. And Tim, Tim, you know, shout out to Tim, because he was one of the guys that started that. I remember uh, you know, Patrick Osborne, one of our VPs, was in the room when he said that. And I'm sure people went off and said, you know, we need to make this happen, guys. Uh, not everybody wants to use a, a, a backup appliance uh, like store wants. They do want to use a, a, a server, the storage server, that has the capability of doing everything in a, in a single box at a, at a great you know, at a great price performance point to get that kind of uh, kind of backup capability. Hey, Michael, I really appreciate you spending all this time uh, helping us walk through what's coming in V11. I'm pretty excited about it. I know you guys are too, as well you should be. And uh, congratulations to you and the team for all the work that's gone into making V11 uh, a reality. So uh, congratulations. Yeah, thanks, Calvin. Thanks for having me. We have relocated around the IT block to hpe.com. You will no longer find new episodes on TalkShoe. You'll be able to find old episodes there, but if you want to stay in touch with topics we'll have here, be sure to search for Around the IT Block on hpe.com and subscribe to it on your favorite podcast player. Love hearing from you on Twitter, where you can find me as Calvin Zito. You can find our blogs at community.hpe.com. Until next time, thanks for joining me.